0: Men are outnumbered on the Illinois State University campus by women by a lot, and the school is not an outlier.
1: Women have done better in high school, like as long as we have data.
0: That story coming up on WGLT's Sound Ideas. Good afternoon. I'm John Norton. Also on today's show, a retiring educator in Bloomington reflects on how technology has changed how teachers teach and how artificial intelligence could change it dramatically. But let's look at it how it could help our students as well. And you'll hear the latest Bloomington Black History Essay Contest winner.
2: Martin Luther King Jr. decided that it was time to step up and make a change so that the whole world could see.
0: Those stories follow a Bloomington Normal news update, which is just ahead. This is WGLT Sound Ideas on 891 FM and WGLT.org, part of the NPR network.
3: Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. Here, my story continues with local patient
0: Bill McKay. They're all doctors of audiology. Knowing that they've got the background to doing a a, a complete evaluation and not just sell hearing aids, it's they make that connection for you.
4: Bill's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com.
0: From the campus of Illinois State University in Normal, this is WGLT's news magazine, Sound Ideas. Good afternoon, I'm John Norton. More women go to Illinois State University than men a lot more the same is true of bradley university and heartland community college it's part of a nationwide trend that began in the 1980s and has widened wglt's charlie schlenker reports in
4: 1972 the u.s government passed the landmark title IX laws to promote gender equality in education back then there was a 12 percentage point gap in the proportion of bachelor's degrees going to men compared to women the gap closed in 1982 since then It has widened the other way, along with overall enrollment numbers. Now, overall college enrollment has been falling since the Great Recession, but the drop is also disproportionate by gender. The male share of college enrollment fell each year from 2015 to 2020, and the pandemic just made the gap even bigger. Graduation rates amplify the gender gap. More males do not finish degrees than women who leave without a diploma. Sarah Reber is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and an associate at the National Bureau of Economic Research.
1: Essentially, you could say that like the proximate cause is that girls do better in high school.
4: 2022 enrollment numbers show the national split is about 60-40 women over men. At Illinois State University, it's 57% female, 42% male. Bradley University in Peoria is 66% female and 34% male. Heartland Community College, 57% female, 43% male. It's not that Title IX and access to higher education explains the gender gap. It's that Title IX revealed something that would have been happening all along, but for cultural norms that historically favored men. Reber says other developed nations have similar gender trends in higher education.
1: Women have done better in high school, like as long as we have data.
4: Why are girls better than boys in K-12? There are several possibilities, including brain development.
1: Some hypotheses include differences in what economists sometimes call non-cognitive skills or sort of behavioral stuff, everything from organization executive function you know things like that but then also like actual sort of like acting out and things like that like there's you know there's significant gender gaps in kind of all of those things
4: Reba cautions there's not enough science to say how much of the difference is from brain development gender differences in course taking choices and grades are more pronounced than they are in assessment test scores it's not clear there should be policies that prop up a historically advantaged group though Reber says it's concerning how big the gaps are. She says society should want to use all its talents and make sure you serve everyone. And on campuses where the balance gets too far out of whack, it can create less of a sense of belonging. She says strengthening supports for those who have weaker academic backgrounds is a good idea in general and could help men more than women. But,
1: you know, you do find some of the interventions that we do for in education like don't work as much for boys, it's
4: for girls. Illinois State University pays attention to gender imbalances, but Associate Vice President for Enrollment Management Jana Albrecht says it's by professions and by colleges. For instance, there are significantly more men than women enrolled in the College of Business and the College of Applied Science and Technology. And women dominate the College of Education and Mennonite College of Nursing.
5: Depending on the industry, we know we need more males In education, we know we need more males in nursing. Uh, But I think that we still probably need more women in STEM fields. It's our responsibility to pay attention to um, what industry is telling us they need. Uh, And if you do that, I think that balances out that 60-40 split.
4: Albrecht says males may skew more toward coming back later after age 25, which speaks to the readiness issue and brain development.
5: Another big population are the adult learners. Uh, Do we need to call on that adult learner population to get them to come back and to get degrees in fields where we have shortages. And I think that's something that we could, we could work on and we could facilitate as well.
4: Albrecht says because females do better than males in K-12, there could be more men who go into the workforce after high school that could be attracted to something like nursing. ISU has only a limited number of adult learners. And to make that a part of the solution, Albrecht says they would need to find ways to attract more.
5: We would probably need to broaden our online options right for adult learners and we'd have to have other services on campus for adult learners but um, we're certainly looking into the potential opportunity to serve that population.
4: The pandemic affected the gender enrollment balance as well as overall enrollment that was particularly true for community colleges which tend to have more programs that prepare students for the workforce and programs in businesses that skew toward men. Sarah Reber of the Brookings Institution says there's a risk some of that male enrollment will disappear forever, even if community colleges expand workforce readiness programs to relieve the pandemic bottleneck in the supply of graduates.
1: I think if you disrupt the transition to college, that can be permanent.
4: Heartland Community College Vice President for Enrollment Services, Sarah Deal Hunt, says before the pandemic, Heartland also had a higher proportion of female students than peer institutions. That is changing.
6: We are closing that gap um, between ourselves and other community colleges. We historically have been more transfer heavy then we have been applied program heavy than many of the other community colleges in the state.
4: Deal Hunt says Heartland has worked to expand more applied work-ready programs. As the needs of businesses have changed, so have even the Heartland workforce programs. In the past, Heartland workforce programs focused on female-centric professions, such as nursing.
6: We've really been building out programs, not because they attract males but because they're what's in demand in our local community but they're in areas of advanced manufacturing um, hvac welding renewable energy electric vehicle energy storage agriculture
4: when males enroll in community colleges they often enroll later in the annual cycles Deal Hunt says Heartland has done marketing campaigns to get students to enroll earlier in the year so they have more class choice. She says general strategic enrollment efforts look at programs to help students complete degrees. And even co-curricular programming might help convince male students to stick around. Esports, a game club, and intramural activity, for instance. She says other efforts to support identity-based organizations like the Black Student Union and a new association of Latin American students on campus could have a disproportionate effect helping male student attraction and retention.
6: I think just a lot of different things that the college is doing generally to support enrollment needs of our district should have the side effect of helping our male student enrollment as well.
4: Deal Hunt says things like collaborations with businesses for apprenticeships could also attract some of the men who've checked out of education after high school. Another broad trend for Heartland and most community colleges is dual credit courses for high school kids. Deal Hunt says students who get dual credit are more likely to go on to four-year degrees. That's particularly true for underserved communities. Male enrollment in dual credit courses started at 34% at Heartland a decade ago, Male students were not early adopters. Now it's about the same rate as the Heartland population as a whole, 44%. Deal Hunt says it's a good sign that the dual credit growth in males comes in both transfers for gen ed classes and applied workforce programs. Two small liberal arts colleges in the region, Illinois Wesleyan University and Eureka College, cut against the nationwide trend. They have roughly balanced enrollment by gender. Brookings Institution scholar Sarah Reber says it doesn't surprise her.
1: Probably some of this, at least the, you know, the selective private colleges are doing essentially affirmative action for men because they want to have gender balance on campus. Like they're very attentive to like what is the on-campus experience of students. And I think students of both genders prefer a mix
4: Illinois Wesleyan University has had a fairly even gender balance in recent years, according to the Dean of Admissions, Casey Evans. Evans says they don't use gender as a factor in admissions, but the athletic program might explain some of it.
2: In
1: any given year, our athletic rosters run about 60% male and 40% female. We offer the same number of teams for both genders. But football and men's lacrosse traditionally carry larger rosters than any female sport, which use the number more male.
4: Evans says as student-athletes continue to make up a larger and larger percentage of the student body, it likely balances out that national 60-40 balance that favors females. Illinois Wesleyan University President Georgia Nugent says the competitiveness of the sports teams may also matter in gender balance enrollment choices.
7: We have national championship teams, and I think that brings a number of young men to our campus. And happily, our student athletes are also very good students. Their academics are serious.
4: Nugent says Illinois Wesleyan will double down on that. The school is adding men's and women's wrestling. One thing that's not a factor, is family income. You might expect small liberal arts institutions to have an enrollment that skews wealthier than average and could be expected to have more gender parity because of that. Nugent says nope.
7: When you compare us to the state universities, typically the, the economic quintiles of our students match up pretty closely.
4: Nugent says about 30% of the enrollment in small liberal arts colleges comes from lower economic bracket households. Even though college degrees provide more of a lifelong economic advantage over non-graduates than ever before, women aren't benefiting from the gender enrollment divide. The Brookings Institution's Sarah Reber says, even though women have more education in the labor market, the gender pay gap is still going in the other direction. There are a lot of occupations that are heavily female and require a lot of education, but have low wages. I'm Charlie Schlinger.
0: And I'm John Norton, this is WGLT's Sound Ideas. The dust storm that caused a major interstate pileup and killed eight people in central Illinois this month could be less likely in the future if more farmers adopt certain practices. That's according to an expert in sustainable agriculture. Details coming up tomorrow on WGLT's Sound Ideas. In this age of school on Zoom and rising student debt, not to mention a red hot job market, is college education still a good investment? We'll talk about that next time on Marketplace. Listen beginning at 530 on 89.1 FM and WGLT.org, Bloomington Normal's public media. A proposed housing development in Bloomington would get up to $4.5 million in tax incentives if the city council approves. That money would come at the expense of several taxing bodies, including Bloomington Public Schools, through what's called a TIF district. TIF is an economic development tool in which tax revenue generated by a certain project is spent in that area, an area that's generally underdeveloped. District 87 Superintendent David Mauser tells WGLT's Eric Stock
8: he supports the tax incentive plan with one. Caveat. What you hope for is that you, that you have a good relationship with the city so that they come to you and kind of let you know what the plan is. Uh, and then that, that allows us to be able to plan and and hopefully be able to support what we do. And, th- and this that was the case here. Uh, I will say we found out about it uh, just over a week ago, some of the initial discussions. So, of course, our questions are, well, if this, if, if this residential development brings new students, how do we make that right? And so we've already had discussions with the city about uh, ways to be able to offset some of those costs. Should the development bring new students? I will say the location that they're looking at is a location that we currently are not receiving uh, really any benefit from in terms of like tax revenue. Um, and so in a lot of ways, we're excited to try to support the city in terms of what they're trying to do to expand, create developments, create opportunities and bring in businesses. And and of course, uh, you know, residential in this case. But, you know, at the end of the day, tips are always something that are concerning. And you just hope you have a positive relationship enough to to have the uh, the city willing to help offset some of the costs and do right by schools.
3: Thoughts on wrapping up your first year at District 87? How did it go?
8: It's it's fantastic. You know, I, I'm i trying to get, like, emotional here. You know, I think when you're in education, um, you, you know, you seek ways to be able to create an impact and to create relationships that you know, you can kind of lay your head on the pillow at night and feel good about it. And, and um, you know, it was a big move for me, it was a change, right? i had been out at Tri-Valley for many years and I'd developed relationships there. And, um, and and I was really proud of the work that we'd done, but I also recognized it was time for a change. At the beginning of the year, if you just said to me, July 1, how do you feel? It would have been terrified, <laughs> you know, because I was, I was nervous to walk into a larger district. And, um, you know, to me, I've been um, surrounded with open arms, uh, welcomed with open arms. I've been, um, I've had the opportunity to learn so much uh, in, in the area of diversity. Um, and 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 to me, that's been what's been most fun about this year is just getting a chance to see uh, what happens in our 10 buildings on a daily basis, get to create those relationships with students and families and teachers. And um, District 87 is a really great place. And uh, I have got nothing but positive to say about the first year that I've had.
3: And while you wrap up your first year, Diane Wolf is wrapping up her last year at District 87 after 17 years, over 30 in education as she is retiring. Why now?
7: It's time. It's an exciting time for my family and myself. And um, I have been so, so lucky to end my career where I started in District 87. It has been wonderful to work with Dr. Mauser in his first year of being in District 87. And um, I just think it is time to let the next generation of leaders take their stand and lead with integrity and trust.
3: What's been the biggest change in education since you started going full circle from starting at District 87 and ending at District 87?
7: You know, this is funny because I was thinking about this today. Um, On my way over here is that it's been technology and the way that technology has integrated. When I started teaching at Bloomington High School... Um, I took all my attendance by hand. We had phones in our rooms to call parents. There was no email. I didn't have a computer in my room. And now we have, um, all of our students have a one-to-one device of which they can access the world. So the role of the teacher has changed so much. Um, And I think that's the exciting part about being in education right now is that you get to learn alongside your students. And you're not and should not be the only expert that those students are exposed to.
3: And on the subject of technology, the latest technology on the forefront of education, and I guess everything now, is artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. College professors have raised concerns about students using it to cheat. Has that reached K through 12 classrooms yet?
7: You know, it absolutely has. It's something that we are monitoring and looking at, not as a deficit, something that can be harmful, um, but let's look at it how it could help our students as well. And I think that the whole world as we see it in education, but as a society, we're going to have to get back to a root belief that Uh, The human mind has to be a critical thinker. And so even if AI puts something on a piece of paper, I really, truly believe that people still need to be able to say, oh, that's a good idea, but, and still extend it out.
3: So are teachers sort of experimenting with it at this point, seeing what the pluses are, how to prevent it from taking over, that sort of thing.
7: To be real honest, it is still so new to us, really opening up this spring, that this is something that um, we are going to be looking at. And when we look at how students are taught how to use it, I think that will be part of a teacher's repertoire going forward.
3: And you're leaving now as the pandemic ends and mm-hmm. students have been catching up over the last few years. Uh, have, have they caught up from all the, all the lost time and what has that done for learning disparities, do you feel?
7: Well, one of the things that I think the pandemic did was raise for our outside of educators this idea of educational disparities. Those have been there for years. But now we have everybody realizing that as a community, we need to be looking at those disparities and what our students come into our schools with and how we can have them grow. I would say this, too. One of the things that I truly believe the pandemic gave us was getting us back to our core beliefs as a school district and as a society. And we all really felt how important relationships are, supportive
0: relationships. That was District 87 Superintendent David Mauser and Retiring Assistant Superintendent Diane Wolf with WGLT's Eric Stock. Stories and conversations around Bloomington Normal in McLean County, this is WGLT's news magazine, Sound Ideas. Bloomington primary and secondary school students have taken inspiration from a variety of black leaders in the nation's history. They range from well-known civil rights leaders to entertainers with important voices to black entrepreneurs who built business empires. WGLT is airing the voices of the students who have won awards in the City of Bloomington Black History Essay Contest. Today, you'll hear from 12-year-old Aliyah Mohapatra. Mohapatra is from Chittix Junior High School and is the 2nd place winner of the middle school category in the contest.
2: Can you imagine a world full of little kids with different skin colors wanting to play together but they can't because half of them are black? This is what American minister Martin Luther King Jr. wanted to change. Martin Luther King Jr. is an African-American civil rights activist who fixed segregation. His impact made Congress change their minds of black people. Before that, blacks were treated very poorly. They thought that black people didn't have the same rights as whites. During the post-World War II period, 1950 to the 80s, whites were treated as royalty because they thought blacks should go back to their previous position as slaves before Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Martin Luther King, Jr. was born on January 15, 1929 to Martin Luther King, Sr. and Alberta Williams King. Martin Luther King, Sr. was a Baptist pastor, which is where MLK got his first job. When Martin was about six, his best friend couldn't play with him anymore because MLK was black, and it was a time of segregation around the world. They separated blacks and whites by keeping different public bathrooms and water fountains, and even black people couldn't go to the same restaurants as whites. This was a time of unfair civil rights, and someone needed to change that. Martin Luther King Jr. decided that it was time to step up and make a change so that the whole world could see. It was time for him to start organizing protests and boycotts. He helped Rosa Parks by organizing a bus boycott to say that blacks won't ride buses till they make laws fair for all races and not separate them in the most simple places such as buses and restaurants. During this time, people were so severely racist that they threw bricks, rotten tomatoes, and other gross things because they thought blacks should go back to their places as slaves, just like the old times. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated and killed on April 4, 1968, in Memphis, Tennessee. The world grieved his loss because they lost an important leader who helped all skinned people become a family. Luckily, his legacy still lives on today. This is how our lives drastically changed for the better. Black people are now treated well, getting high positions in various sectors, such as Barack Obama, the 44th president of the United States, in politics, Oprah Winfrey in television, Will Smith in the acting industry, and many more. Like Martin Luther King Jr., we can all think positive and change the world for the better. But taking the first step is your right and decision.
0: That's Aaliyah Mohapatra, one of the winners of the City of Bloomington Black History Essay Contest. The audio of the speech was produced by WGLT's Charlie Schlenker. And at Sound Ideas today, WGLT's news magazine is made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm John Norton. Story help today came twice from WGLT's Charlie Schlenker, also from Eric Stock. The show was produced by Samantha Hill. This is 89.1 FM, WGLT, and WGLT.org, part of the NPR network.